0: the Lord, for Thy great plan That we thy dwelling place may be
1: Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program provided by Living Stream Ministry and featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. These two were faithful slaves of the Lord during their entire Christian lives and have become patterns to us of ones that counted all things lost on account of Christ. Witness Lee completed his most comprehensive work called The Life Study of the Bible just before going to be with the Lord in 1997. This program combines short excerpts from his original speaking, along with some of our own comments and fellowship. And as always, we'd like to hear from you with your thoughts or answer any questions that might arise while you're listening. We'll repeat this contact information at the end of the program, but if you have a pen right now, jot down our toll-free number, which is 888-LIFE-STUDY, 888-543-3788, or you can reach us by email to radio at lsm.org. Now, let's join today's program. Many people think the book of Jeremiah is not easy to read nor to understand. Well, it may be hard to read because it seems to be full of the failures and degradation of God's people, Israel. Yet, despite page after page of such failures, there are wonderful crystals of God's economy and of the new covenant and of Christ Himself. It's hard to understand because much of it is based on the history of God's people and what has led up to the time when God called a young man, even still in his mother's womb, to be a prophet for him and speak on his behalf to the rebellious and unfaithful people of Israel. This was the prophet Jeremiah. Bill Lawson has joined us as we continue our life study of Jeremiah. And Bill, it is truthful to say that much of this book seems very negative, very bleak, very dark, and surely the degradation of God's people is a primary factor in this book, isn't it?
2: Yes, it is. Jeremiah is quite an interesting book, and it seems like everything is completely negative, but the Lord really has a way to bring out some positive things in his book. As we get into it, we'll see all the marvelous positive features, in a sense, hidden in this book of Jeremiah.
1: We have, seems like day by day, I think in every program we have mentioned, what is really a hallmark verse for this life study, and that is chapter 2, verse 13, when Jehovah said to Jeremiah, my people have committed two evils. Of course, There were many more than two, but specifically he is indicating these two things were really the source of the degradation. So the Lord highlights these two evils in verse 13. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, which hold no water. This really was the definition or becomes the definition of apostasy, doesn't it?
2: Right. We can break down all of Israel's evils into these two matters forsaking the fountain of living waters and hewing out cisterns. That means doing something else absolutely apart from the Lord.
1: So to forsake God and to take another way than God is what apostasy is all about, and that was much the case of Israel. We will see in our program today, Witness Lee is going to go back now in a very helpful way, I think, and lay as a foundation much of the ancient history of Israel that led up to where we find ourselves in Jeremiah's time. And uh, so to help us with that, let's look at a couple of verses ourselves, just to remind ourselves of what God had been to Israel in the past. In Exodus chapter 20, and God spoke all these words saying, I am Jehovah, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the slave house. You shall have no other gods before me. What's the context of this verse, Bill?
2: Here you have uh, the children of Israel, of course, being brought out of 400 years of tyranny there in Egypt. And after the Lord brought them out of Egypt, of course, he brought them to the foot of the mountain, Mount Sinai. And there, in a sense, he wanted to really be a god to these people, and he wanted the Israelites to be a people absolutely unto him, to keep his statutes and there you have a situation where it in a sense you can use the word a sun rising right. where the divine revelation was revealed to the israelite through the lord that god wants to have a people and he wants a very intimate relationship with the group of people called the nation of israel
1: this in many ways was somewhat the high peak of their revelation
2: Right. It was definitely the high peak. They had been brought out of it 400 years of Egyptian tyranny. Now, God was ready to work with them, and even you could consider the giving of the law, in a sense, was like a marriage contract. This began their relationship.
1: Well, from this point on, they had this 40-year history between Sinai and the point at which they were ready to enter into the good land. And that comes uh, at the end of Deuteronomy. We're seeing Moses nearly at his own point of departure, but leaving them in a condition where they could now go in. And there's a re-speaking of that vision, of that high revelation that they received on Sinai. And that's what Deuteronomy was, the re-speaking of the law. And near the end of the book, in chapter 32, he said to them, Set your heart on all these words which I am testifying to you today, and you shall command them to your children that they may be certain to do all the words of the law. For it is not a matter too vain for you, because it is your life, and by this matter you will extend your days upon the land into which you are crossing over the Jordan to possess. So the law had been spoken and now respoken, and we see them in a very real sense, fully equipped, don't we, Bill, to enter
0: into the good land?
2: Right, everything's all ready.
0: Let's
1: join Witness
2: Lee.
0: I'd like to take a little time to tell Israel's history. Israel were there in Egypt under the tyranny of the Egyptians and the yoke of Pharaoh. Then God sent Moses to uh, release them from the tyranny and brought them out of Egypt to the wilderness. And then Moses brought them to Mount Sinai. At that time at Mount Sinai, the heaven was open to Israel. God came in to give them the revelation. The whole heaven was open, full of visions. It was there that Moses saw the pictures of the tabernacle and all the utensils. So, according to that revelation, Israel built up the tabernacle to worship God. Then God gave them the book of Exodus, the book of Leviticus, the book of Numbers, telling them how to worship God, how to behave themselves, how to live, even how to dress, how to eat, how to do everything. So from that time, people of Israel became a people under God's divine revelation every way. That was 1500 years before Christ. And that was 500 years before David. Okay, the state at the foot of Mount Sinai, and they built God, the tabernacle. So, they began the worship with the priesthood and with all the sacrifices. They did that 100% according to God's revelation. But while they were traveling in the wilderness, they began to degrade. From the revelation, they had received through Moses from God. You read numbers, story after story about them degrading from God's law. That means from God's revelation. Then, when they approached the Golan, at the plain east of Jordan, they stayed there. Moses repeated all the law again, and that was called the deuteronomy. God repeated his revelation of the law again to the children of Israel. With that, they entered the good land.
1: Bill, this is a marvelous recap of this history from Sinai to their entering into the good land. In our introduction a minute ago when we were talking about this same point, you referred to their receiving the revelation of the law and also the blueprint really of the tabernacle as a sunrise of the divine revelation in the children of israel's experience that's interesting because the printed life study message witness lee refers to this message in this era that we're seeing in jeremiah as the sunset of the divine revelation talk about these two uh, bookends of the divine revelation in israel's experience
2: very interesting chris that witness lee himself uses the term the sunset of the divine revelation, courts, which is a very negative situation. Of course I use the word sunrise because at the beginning of the relationship that the children of Israel had with the Lord, it was a marvelous relationship. The Lord took the children of Israel out of a very negative Situation in Egypt. He brought them to Mount Sinai. He unveiled his heart to them. On his heart was that he wanted them to build a tabernacle that he could be worshiped, they could enjoy him, they could have a relationship, even a marriage relationship. Eventually, as Brotherly traces the history of the relationship of the children of Israel with the Lord, this relationship runs into many, many problems. Eventually, they began to forsake can be unfaithful to the Lord, so this began a gradual deterioration in their relationship. When we get into the book of Jeremiah, the situation is so dark that Brother Lee could use this term, the sunset of the divine revelation, in that the children of Israel had forsaken the Lord completely, fully into idolatry, rebellion. It was a true sunset situation.
1: Bill, one of the things I believe we can use to sort of peg this beginning of the sunset, too, was incorporated into that portion we read in Deuteronomy where he was re-speaking the law, re-speaking, in a sense, their betrothals, their uh, uh, marriage or their bridal contracts, so to speak. He told them in chapter 7 of Deuteronomy, verses 2 and verse 5, something very specific, And Jehovah, your God, delivers them up before you. He's speaking now of the enemies that they will find as they possess the good land or attempt to possess the good land. And you defeat them. You shall utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor shall you show them any favor. But you shall deal with them in this way. Their altars you shall tear down. Their pillars you shall shatter. Their Asherahs you shall hew down. And their idols you shall burn with fire. A very, very strong command here, unequivocal, that they were to make no accommodation of the idols in the land, nor those that worship them, but were really to slaughter and wipe them out completely. From our human point of view, this may seem extreme and unfair, but in the divine economy, this was quite significant in the fact that they disobeyed this commandment really helped to contribute to their own degradation, didn't it?
2: That's right. Especially when you look at the Lord's strong word in Exodus chapter 20, when the first three or four commandments there talk about the relationship that the Lord wants to have with his people. He's a jealous God, and he didn't want anyone or anything else to replace him. So you can understand the severity of the Lord's dealings with the Israelites because he considered them his own wife. Yeah. So this is why the Lord was so strict.
1: Well, let's go back to Witness Lee. We're in a kind of a review of the history of Israel leading up to and including the time of Jeremiah. Here he is again.
0: In Deuteronomy, God charged them. Israel, when you enter into the good land, the first thing you do, you must tear down all their idols. And you must destroy every place they worship the idols. That means the high hills with the green trees. Not only so, you must slaughter all those idol worshippers. Israel made a mistake. What mistake? Israel entered into the good land. They didn't destroy idols. They didn't devastate all the worshiping places of the idols. They didn't slaughter the Canaanites. Firstly, Israel didn't obey God in this one commandment to curl up anything, everything with the idol worship. The idols, the worship priests, and the worshipers, they have to all together wipe out. But they didn't. Because of this, they couldn't get the Gulen. Because the Gulen was still occupied by these idol worshippers. So there was war again and again this is why you have a book which called the judges and the judges are the leading ones the strong ones who can fight against the worshipers for israel until samuel's time and samuel brought in david and david became a good fighter it was david that fought all the worshipers and he gained nearly the entire Golan.
1: Bill, this is fascinating. The children of Israel did not obey, they did not remove the idols, the idol worshipers, and it created a, an impossible situation. God's move seemed to be stopped until he raised up this one young man named David to do this fighting work. And in a sense, because of his faithfulness, he got somewhat, it seems, restored into the sunrise of the divine revelation because the Lord eventually revealed his heart's desire. In First Chronicles 22, he calls for Solomon, his son, and commanded him to build a house for Jehovah, the God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, my son, as for me, it was on my heart to build a house for the name of Jehovah, my God. Because of all the blood that he had to shed, Jehovah restricted him, but did enable the house to be built ultimately by his son. So uh, this matter of this faithfulness to God's commandment is critical, isn't it, in our going on with the Lord in a proper way?
2: Right, because of David's faithfulness here, that in a sense, this was like a sun rising again. Israel's situation was like going down, downhill, and then the Lord raised up, of course, Samuel. The Lord raised up David to want to build a house. He was not able to because he was a warrior king, but eventually the instruction was that David's son Solomon build the house. This is, in a sense, moving I would say a little bit toward the direction of a sun rising or a more positive situation that the Lord was able to deal with his people in the nation of Israel.
1: Bill, you've talked a couple of times about this matter of on Sinai, this was a kind of a bridal contract, and it really was a sort of an engagement time for Israel. When we are in the context of Jeremiah, maybe our listeners who have been with us uh, in some of these prior messages will have remembered from earlier in chapter 2, verse 2, where Jehovah says to Jeremiah, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says Jehovah, I remember concerning you the kindness of your youth, the love of your bridal days, when you followed after me in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown. This is really a window into God's heart, isn't it? How he longs after his people to have this kind of intimate love relationship.
2: I think if we don't realize verses like this in Jeremiah chapter 2, we don't see the relationship here that the Lord has with his people. We just consider it as just a history book, and Jeremiah is just bemoaning the sad state of Israel's history. But if we begin to realize that the relationship here is a relationship of a husband and a wife, then we can begin to understand why the divine revelation in chapter 2 talks about a bridal love. That means that bridal love began in Exodus 20 at the giving of the law. This was like a marriage contract that the God and his people entered into, and then it Surely the Lord anticipated that his people would be faithful to that marriage contract, but as we see as we go along in history, for example, like in Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, it mentions, Why should I pardon you? Your children have forsaken me, and sworn by those who are not gods. When I fed them to the full, they committed adultery, and trooped to the house of harlots." Like well-fed horses, they roam about, each one neighing after his neighbor's wife. Wow. So this is really quite a situation that eventually the Lord here, through Jeremiah, is saying that Jehovah's wife, the Israelites, have become nothing more than just idol worshipers and ones in full rebellion, an unfaithful wife. So Jeremiah is using this to speak forth a complaint about the people.
1: Well, we'll see that uh, degradation developed a bit in this final portion. Let's go back to Witness Lee.
0: David gained good land. And he has seen the design, innovation, about building up a God temple. But he didn't have the time to do it, yet he prepared not only design, but also materials. And also the site, a piece of land on Mount Moriah where Abraham offered his son Isaac. Then his son, Solomon, built up the temple according to the design his father, God, from God, and on the side, his father appointed. The temple was built. That was just about a 1,000 years before Christ and 500 years after Moses. So that was the highlight of the nation of Israel. Marvelous. But Solomon, in his old age, he became sinful. He took a lot of concubines, a lot of wives from other countries, and those hidden wives brought in the hidden idols. Solomon became degraded against God. Then his descendants, nearly all, of the foreign kings were bad again and again, again and again for five centuries. Up to the time when Jeremiah was born, you know, Jeremiah was called as a priest to be a prophet from 629, only 23 years before Nebuchadnezzar's capture. Jeremiah was charged by God to prophesy, to condemn Israel's sins, how they worship idols, how they forsook God, the fountain of the living water, how they went to the idols and make idols to hew out some cisterns from the rock. In their society, nothing but murdering, killing, fornication, or stealing Lying and greediness. God, as a loving, sympathetic, compassionate husband, God sighed in this way. I love that you could remember, you and I, our bridal day. You could still remember our wedding, our honeymoon, right? But you don't. You left me. You give me up. And you go to other husband. You got a lot of husband. And you yourself, because forsaking me, became so evil one to another. This is their situation.
1: Bill, he just named off these characteristics of Israel. Murder, lying, fornication, stealing. Sounds a lot like our uh, situation today in many ways, doesn't it? But what strikes me is that despite all of this, throughout all of it, still Jehovah, his heart was open to them, pleading with them just to return. And even in uh, Lamentations at the end of all of this, Jeremiah, considering this whole dark situation, he points out that Jehovah's mercies and compassions remain new every morning. Uh, This is really the call to us, isn't it, God's people today?
2: Concerning the Lord, the Israelites, they were just worshiping idols upon idols. And in their own human society, they're just nothing but murder and stealing and lying and covetousness. So both toward God and toward one another, their situation was just a hopeless case. Yet in the middle of that, it's really amazing the Lord still did not give Israel up. Yeah. You know, probably we would just say we would divorce you know, this situation <laughs> or we would separate and we would just forget about this person. But the Lord and his loving kindness and his mercies, they never fail. So the Lord is still working with his apostate wife. It's hard to imagine the Lord's compassion toward her after all that she has done. We would have given up on this particular person a long time ago. Yet the Lord still is trying to draw us, in a sense that's us, because we are the same way in many of our situations. We're far away from the Lord. Yet he still draws us back. He uses his words to remind us of that day when we first fell in love with the Lord, when we were first regenerated and redeemed. And so he's bringing us back. He's drawing us back bit by bit so that the situation, again, will come out to eventual sun rising in our relationship.
1: Not only uh, would we have given up on Israel, but uh, oftentimes we feel like giving up on ourselves because we sense the same tendencies, at least, if not the actual deeds within our being and think, well, I never change. But Mm -hmm. the focus is to stay on the one whose compassions and mercies are never failing, who always reaches out to us as his uh, espoused bride. Right. And we have to cherish him that way Mm -hmm. and have him renew our first love. Mm -hmm. Bill, this is a kind of a two-part message. I wonder if you'd be willing to come back and uh, do part two with us.
2: Yeah, very good.
1: Good. We'll look forward to that then. And we hope that you'll join us also as we finish up this uh, important message, and I think a very helpful one in terms of understanding this book on the history of Israel. If you'd like to get the printed Life Study messages, we invite you to contact us, our toll-free number, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY, 888-543-3788. If you'd rather write to us, it's Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. For Bill Lawson, I'm Chris Wild. Thank you very much for listening today.
0: Dear Lord, we give ourselves to Thee. Receive us into Thy wise hands.
1: Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. These programs consist of excerpts from Witness Lee's spoken ministry along with our discussion and comments and all focusing on God's heart's desire that we would enjoy Christ as the divine life for man. There are more than 1,700 programs like this one available online free of charge that you can download, stream live, or add to your podcast subscription. Just visit our website, lsmradio.com. That's lsmradio.com. You can also reach us by email, radio at lsm.org. Thanks for listening today.